You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunnyside Up. I'm your host, Anoop. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Doug Starzak on co-selling organizations and the secret to optimize meetings. Our guest for today, Doug, is an 18-year veteran in the telecommunications industry who is always staying close and ahead of trends from a thought leadership perspective with transformational technologies, especially related to customer experience and the way we communicate as humans through technology. Following his military service, Doug moved into various role types ranging from real estate, technical operations, and a long stretch in direct and indirect sales. Doug, super excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm very humbled to be here. Awesome. So, Doug, let me start off by asking you, how do you optimize your meetings? I mean, we live in an era where Zoom fatigue is a thing. So can you throw some light on how do we optimize our meetings? Absolutely. I will I will have to throw out this little adjustment on the term. I actually like to prefer video fatigue only because although many people do use Zoom, you know, there are other video technologies and they cause the same amount of fatigue. So, but that being said, you know, it's such a great question. And I think in today's world, you know, there's been a lot of change, right? Things are different today. And what was an optimized meeting two years ago is different today and it may be different tomorrow, right? And so the message really is just to constantly evolve and adapt and and just be listening to what's impactful to the people. But how I kind of construct what I'd like to think of as optimized meetings is really kind of broken into three different categories, right? And these three different categories, the first category and step in the optimized meeting is your personal and human connection. I'll get into the details of that here shortly, but the next kind of phase of the meeting is your kind of professional and business connection. And then the third phase of the meeting is your intent or your action slash topic of the meeting, right? Whatever the intent of the meeting was originally for. And so why there's the first step is the personal human connection. I think people, especially in today's world, right? Where remote working and social distancing completely reconstructed everyone's assumptions around availability to seemingly really significant higher expectations on the ability to connect, right? Everybody thinks everybody's available, it seems. And then the thought process is that since many have limited places to go and the ongoing social distancing restrictions in many regions and companies still, that people are or really generally should be more available to meet or speak or really just work, right? Which has created an array of compelling efficiency gains, right, in the workplace. Some positive stuff has happened because of it. But really, it's also kind of led to some unfortunate things, right? Like employee burnout. But in today's remote workforce, you know, it's all been necessitated and accelerated by COVID's impact and certainly blurred lines between work and life. So as a result, in an attempt to try to collaborate more with peers and coworkers, there's more meetings now than ever, right? It's, I hear from many people, God, I'm in back-to-back calls all day. I'm in back-to-back meetings all day. Like it's just nonstop, right? They're constantly talking to people in roles where maybe they didn't talk to as many people before because they're available, right? But people have forgotten to connect as humans, right? There's no more of the water cooler talk that's happening in the workplace, right? When you're face-to-face with somebody, you're more likely to try to just chit-chat right? Have those normal generic human interactions. But when you're, when you're in back-to-back meetings, you know, people are just getting straight to business, 
And that's, you know, it's very demoralizing sometimes. And that is a big contributor to burnout, right? It's not the technology, it's how we're interacting as people. And so what I kind of try to encourage everybody to do is take a couple minutes in the beginning of the meeting, even if it's a quick meeting, right? There's nothing wrong with taking the time to connect as humans because you build the foundation of trust and trust is the foundation of everything that's needed when transacting in business right? If you don't trust somebody, you're not going to really be able to execute in the best capacity. So, you know, and that's why there's that saying, people buy from people, right? Now, how that kind of works, even if somebody starts off the meeting and they go straight to business, it's okay to throw in something, you know, have the courage to throw in something to kind of throw a wrench in it, right? Make it personal. There's a tactic that I like to use oftentimes just because I'm willing to to try to check my ego, At least I try to share a, a slightly embarrassing story that's kind of funny, right? There's nothing better than an embarrassing story, especially stories, to lighten the mood. And it puts you at a place of vulnerability, which people tend to be more comfortable with when somebody else is vulnerable. And it's funny, right? And then they're more likely to share a story and this and that, especially if they can relate. And that really relaxes people in the meeting environment to lead to better discussions especially going into the next phase. So this next phase, the professional business connection. What that means is think about like, let's say a partner or somebody external to the organization, customer, right? Talk about their high level. What are their goals, their strategies? How, how are things impacting their business, their visions, their go-to-markets, right? All high level conversations, right? Like we wanna understand what their day-to-day is looking like, what their future is hoping to be like, what their, their visions are of things. And it doesn't happen without you asking about those high level things. If you go straight to the brass tacks, you don't know what the hidden agendas are. You don't know what their concerns might be, right? Without asking those high level questions. So funneling from the personal conversation into those conversations, oftentimes you'll be able to see, you'll be able to hear and identify better action items than you originally thought were possible from the original intent because you had those high level conversations that weren't originally intended. So be mindful of that, right? It's okay to ask, those types of questions. Don't don't get too personal on on the personal stuff and don't get too deep to where you need to sign an NDA, right? But it's okay to ask for the the high level stuff. And then lastly, the action items, right? Finish it off with the stuff. It probably could have been done in an email or a chat anyways, but hey, we like to have meetings as humans. But consider this, right? Make every effort to make it mutual, right? Coworkers, customers, external partners, everybody, it's a partnership, right? We're all working together to obtain some kind of goals collectively usually. So make it mutual, right? If somebody has two action items, try to think of some some two action items that you can execute on as well. So that way the feeling of a mutual partnership in the meeting is established and that foundation of trust is carried forward much stronger go forward basis. Thank you for sharing those insights, Doug. And I'm sure we would be on track to optimizing our meetings in the future as well. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> so, Doug, how would you describe co-selling organization? Sure, a great question. So, I mean, you know, a co-selling organization can mean different things to different people. But generally speaking, I, I see a co-selling organization is, is when an organization has adopted a fully integrated direct and indirect sales go-to-market strategy model in which their direct sales organization, as well as their indirect channel organization, so your partners and partner managers and you know those, those sort of staff, work together in a cohesive fashion. And typically, you'll see that, or at least they should be, double comped on the one business out of the, the engagements and the opportunities when brought in by a partner. Ideally, there's no reduction between the partner sourced 
opportunities that come in versus your organic vendor marketing sourced opportunities with really probably some scenario based exceptions. But you should expect to see registrations, leads, opportunities brought to the vendor be assigned the same sales resources a vendor would assign to that customer if they were to call in or contact the vendor directly. So the, the thought process is it's a joint co-sale go-to-market. Now this technically this type of model has been around for quite some time, but more recently it's been gaining tons more popularity and really attention in the marketplace, right? More and more organizations are looking to that, you know, and how they adopt it and, and that sort of thing. This go-to-market approach, it helps them remove barriers of channel conflict, the constructs of the partner and vendor for optimized scalability, especially if speed to market is in high demand due to market share obtainment needs, provides deeper partner value exchange, prompts better trust and confidence in the partnership, and really it allows for a deeper and wider go-to-market alignment with the partnership overall. So, you know, generally speaking, I mean, since every partner is different in various ways, regardless of whether they're hardware, software, cloud services, network partner, or they're maybe they're considered an MSP, managed service provider, a VAR, value added reseller, system integrator, an ISV or independent software vendor, OEM. I mean, the list goes on and on what type of partners it could be. But really, no co-sale model would ideally force a partner to stay within the constrained, the constricted lanes that they are up until the co-selling model came about, right? Like generally speaking, you, know, you want to kind of be mindful of being too restrictive in a co-selling environment because although there's an integrated model, there are some things to consider, right? But generally speaking, you know, based on certifications, tenure, production, capability, maybe just the overall business model, one should see some leeway or flexibility in what that looks like to the partner and what kind of requirements they're putting into the table. So it's ultimately though, the co-selling model, it's the value that it has to an organization besides what's already been stated, right? Like it's incredibly useful for identifying areas of opportunity to enhance product feature, identify market demands, penetrate new routes to market with more cost efficiency and speed. It allows you to fill feature gaps and capability gaps. It allows you to scale deployment models faster, right? Like your implementation. It really even, you know, improves the customer journey through a better sales experience that's without conflict, enhanced customer success capabilities and account management, and lastly, even an optimized technical support capabilities, right? There's just more resources involved and that's a win-win for the customer. Awesome. Now, how would you engage all parties in a co-selling organization? I mean, is there a method where you can effectively engage all of them? Yeah, it's, you know, that's a great question. And it's one of those things where it always sounds great on paper, but to put it in action, it's not easy, right? You know, I'd say in a co-selling environment, right? If you think about the fundamentals of sales, let's face it, sales organizations, sales professionals, they tend to be your quintessential A-types, right? Headstrong, very confident. And when you have a lot of A-types competing against each other, you know, things get heated sometimes, like people get competitive and stuff like that. And then you throw in a partner in the mix and the partner now, you know, they're also A-types. Oftentimes they're, they're once employees of corporate America within the realms that you, or as a, you know, if I was a sales professional, maybe I used to be a sales professional and then I transitioned into a partner, started my own business, right? And oftentimes salespeople don't realize that. And so they just see an external organization. They think, well, how can they possibly know as much as me or, you know, be as capable as I am? I work for this company, right? Not knowing that they've done their research or they're 
they've been in the industry for a long time, so on and so forth, right? And so you have that conundrum, and then you have <laughs> you have the unwillingness to let go, right? A-types love to control typically, and that control is the sales cycle, right? They want to make sure that they're in control of the sales cycle, and so that way they know that they can bring it from beginning to end and win that deal, right? Or maybe, God forbid, they can't check the ego and, and they, they want the credit, right? But in a co-selling environment, you know, there's a give and take, right? There's that, that thought process of the partner value exchange, and it's a partnership, right? So things have to be mutual, has to be both ways. You have to be willing to let go in areas to be able to meet in the middle of what's reasonable and fair for an optimized sales cycle, right? So just prefacing all that to kind of tee up really the, the, the effective ways, okay? So the key to cultivating the right co-selling partnership, right, is to, to let your go-to-market strategy dictate the optimal coverage based on the unique nature of the vendor's offering, right? Possibly the best way to think about it is, you know, the resell, co-sell question is to first figure out how you optimize your go-to-market, how you optimize your route to market, and, you know, have those routes and opportunities through partners. The second step is then to figure out how do you manage the sales engagement with partners, right? Within the confines of your products, services, offerings, whatever it might be, how is it best optimized within your framework? And then, you know, how independent should the partner be allowed to work when representing your offerings to the enterprise accounts or mid-market or SMB, whatever segments you play in, right? Because, you know, your, as an organization, your vision, your strategies, they still have to work within the confines. Now, you also have to be real about it, right? So you can't ask for the world and not give anything in return, right? Co-selling is exactly what it sounds like. But importantly, don't forget to factor in your partner's unique business model when you're thinking about all those items, right? And, and what their value proposition is. And there's some partners that prefer to sign up in co-sales models. There's some partners that won't even talk to vendors if they can't resell or white label or wholesale, right? And so, you know, if you want to be something to everybody, well then create those lanes and make it a co-sale harmonious process. Otherwise, you'll just find yourself back with more conflicts, just like it's been for a long time. So generally speaking, there's three different models to consider when engaging with partners. Just to kick it off, you got your fully joint co-sales approach, and you got your referral-based co-sales approach, then you have your reseller and or wholesaler-based approach. The fully joint one, it's exactly what it sounds, right? The partner and the vendor sell jointly for every customer engagement where expectations are all set and the sales cycles are to include the vendor and partner in each step of the way. Sometimes the initial discovery might be allowed to be skipped with partners of more capabilities and, and experience, but that's, you know, they're lockstep every step of the way. This model particularly, it's more commonly adopted in the marketplace. It's more organizations are trying to march towards this and it's the most friendly towards your enterprise customers, your upmarket customers, and frankly, the overall customer experience, right? Because they're engaged with both sides. They see that harmonious partnership and it's a good look and feel for customers. The referral based, this one is, you know, it's the vendor or partner that's whoever has uncovered the sourced opportunity is bringing in the other vendor or partner to really kind of hand off that uncovered opportunity for the other to take point and take lead moving forward in the engagement and sales cycle. And 
typically you'll see the the sourcing vendor or partner will stay either on the sidelines, maybe be on calls, but just not really involved or just staying in the sidelines behind <laughs> behind the line, right? Getting updates from the vendor or partner as to what the status is. And, and then the, once the sale is complete, then that's when they receive the compensation for the referral. This one's typically most dominant and you'll see it in SMB and mid-market, purely based on scalability and speed, right? You gotta move quick, it's more transactional. And then lastly, the resell or wholesale approach, the sales partner organization acts as a front line, main point of contact, right? A lot of, a lot of people know what this resell wholesale model is, right? It's no, no stranger to it, but the reality is in a co-sale environment, right? You still are providing behind the scenes, pre-sales or post-sales, even implementation or tech support sometimes, as a resource, as an alignment model, right? In some cases, there's even sales reps that are still aligned in a just-in-case fashion, right? So they're just there to support and be a body. So it's strictly up to you. And that model really has served the organization that has a product that can support this method, back-end system capabilities to integrate with the partner systems for automation and possibly even have staff resource limitations or preference to keep their sales organization smaller by nature. This is the path to go for those kind of situations. What are catered to partners that are better fit? That was really insightful. So do you suggest any best practices? Like, what do you recommend? What are some of the best practices in the industry? You got it. Yeah. There's a lot of best practices. You know, I think I'll start off with the, it all starts with education, right? Make sure that everybody is educated in what the, the mission, the goals, the objectives, intent and purposes of this strategy and, and why it's important to the sales organization, right? Like without vision, without the understanding of purpose for your sales organization, you know, they're not gonna understand why they gotta work with some external sales rep on this opportunity that they're bringing to the table, right? They're probably just thinking, God, can this guy just get out of my way, right? Or gal. Now, <laughs> setting aside the education, like how you do that, right? Like there's all sorts of ways to kind of educate, right? I mean, I think some good best practices around educating the staff is, you know, if you know the types of partners that you most commonly work with, whether it's a VAR, MSP, ISV, whatever it is, right? Like create kind of like profile sheets or, or record it in your CRM or part, you know, your PRM, right? And just have these little profile sheets that kind of break it down. Like who, who is this partner, right? Like what's, what's their value prop? What's important to them? Maybe how do they engage? What are their baseball card stats, right? Like how many deals have they brought to the table? How many have they closed? And just giving them a better understanding of what's important to that partner and how do I best work with them, right? And then on the flip side, doing things like a partner highlight, right? You bring them maybe, you know, you select the top partner or a partner where you're getting the most momentum and you bring them in on like a partner of the month kind of thing and allow them to showcase their value to the organization's sales reps. So that way they're exposed to it. They can actually see what they pitch to their customers, the partner. Partner, and that helps to kind of open up their and broaden their horizon as to what these partners bring to the table in a sales cycle that they don't talk when they're co-selling, right? Because they're focused on selling your product. But when they're having the other conversations, these sales reps don't see that, right? So this is just examples. There's plenty of others. So that's one. Second thing is probably also incredibly important. You got to be willing to check the ego, right? And I think that's, it sounds like such a no-brainer, right? But if you have the ability to have some humility, check the ego. You know, and I'm not saying the partner is always right. Sometimes you got to hold a partner accountable. But just remember the term partner, right? It's a two-way street. The expectation should be that 
as a sales organization, you're holding the partner accountable and the partner is holding us accountable, right? And the sales reps have to understand that as well. So, you know, making sure to articulate that they, they need to stay humble because today they may be on top, tomorrow, hey, you never know, right? And then some other kind of best practices, you have things like promoting together, right? So doing promotional activities that are co-branded, going to market, showcasing it, going to trade shows, special events, right? Don't just agree to attend together play active roles in helping each other out by generating the leads, right? Lead exchange, really kind of doing the demand gen together in all sorts of various ways is, is how you optimize the co-selling model. Co-invest, right? Sponsorships, you know, can have dedicated sales or contacts, resources, marketing resources, operations, post-sales, whatever, right? But, you know, just know that like there's got to be a sign of investment that's mutual, right? If you're spending MDF or you're spending, investing in resources, headcount, whatever it might be, and the partner is not doing anything, right? Then chances are they're not building a business model around your product set. Right? You should be seeing investments from their side and they should be seeing investments from your side. And that's how you get a joint strategy and that's how you get an effective co-selling model. And really, you know, hey, press releases, public releases, posting in social media, try to make your, your announcements social, right? Like go social, be verbal about it in a mutual fashion, right? If you're doing some kind of social post, the partner should be doing a social post. You guys should be resharing each other, right? That kind of network spread is invaluable, right? It's a mindshare thing and it requires both parties to do that. And ultimately, the last thing I would say, don't stop there, right? Create your best practices guides internal that's relevant for your organization. Document it, right? Celebrate the wins is a term that I like to call a channel champion. You got to find the channel champions within your organization, the sales reps that get it. It clicks. You got to celebrate those wins, create stories out of it and spread it, right? That's how you get momentum. That's how it spreads like wildfire. Everybody wants to go in that direction because success breeds success and everybody loves a good story. True. So, Doug, is there a book, blog, or newsletter that you'd love to recommend to our listeners? Sure. There's probably a lot of books and, and blogs and newsletters that I could probably recommend, but I'd like to recommend probably two in particular for two different reasons. One is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a psychology slash psychiatry professional, created logotherapy, which is actually one of the three kind of Viennese school of psychotherapy, which is joined by Sigmund Freud's psychoanalysis and Alfred Adler's visual psychology. But it's a psychology professional that was a prisoner, you know, concentration camps, Nazi concentration camps during the Holocaust. It's a very interesting book because it's not emotionally written like you know a lot of the stories are because it's very saddening situation but it's more of a scientific approach to what's transpired right he tells stories but just takes a, a scientific perspective on it and it's very interesting and the premise is the way prisoners imagined his or her future directly affected their longevity he identified three stages of all inmates, and it was shock during the initial admission, and then apathy once they accustomed to the camp, right? And, and really only hyper-focused on just close personal friends and family. And then lastly, the depersonalization, moral deformity, bitterness, and even disillusionment if they were to survive and become liberated, which is very unfortunate, right? The reason why I bring this book up is because it really helps to reflect and understand the fundamental importance of establishing a mindset of having a purpose in life. What that is, what, you, what everybody's, what your purpose in life is, right? What direction would you like to go? And what the various experiences you have day in and day out do for that journey and have what kind of part does it play in that journey? 
So it's a very enlightening kind of moment. And the next one, it's just because everything starts with leadership. Everything starts with ownership, right? Accountability is huge. So, you know, as a military veteran, close to my heart, but Extreme Ownership and Dichotomy of Leadership written by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. It's an incredible book. These guys are incredible leaders. And it's around the principles of laws of combat, mindset for victory. Things like laws of combat, it's like cover and move, right? So teamwork, keeping things simple, simplifying clear and concise communication, prioritizing and executing. So detaching from situation, looking around, making sure you're making the right call. And then decentralized command, right? Enabling the team to be knowledgeable of the, the what and the why for every task, but also to inspire the leader within everybody because everybody leads. And then mindset-free victory is ownership, so extreme ownership, no excuses, everything starts with you, don't blame other people. Default aggressive, that just means move fast, take initiative while mitigating risk and solving problems, innovate and adapt, so that's like tactics, technology, environment is constantly changing. So educate yourself, always be embracing and be ready for change. Humility, check the ego, I said it before. And then discipline equals freedom, right? Being disciplined with high standards leads to more freedom by leading by example. Flexibility, agility, speed to action, they all start with discipline. So those are the books that I recommend. Awesome. So I'll definitely check them out. Good. I hope it helps you. <laughs> I'm sure it will. They're great books. They're phenomenal books. Like they really, it's also a very exciting book, the second one. They're, they talk about some stories and it gets your blood pumping. Awesome. So I have my weekend read set. <laughs> Doug, any three individuals in B2B tech who lead GTM or data science teams that you'd love to recommend we bring on to the show? Sure, yeah. I guess, you know, I can three that just kind of come to mind, give a shout out to. So first, start with Matt Pingatori, the CEO of a unified communications and collaboration, as well as contact center co technology design consultation company, specialized in, you know, consulting, implementing, and supporting these technologies and this company is the Packet Fusion. So Matt Pingator. Next would probably be Brian Miller. He's a co-founder of uh, IT services technology consulting architecture optimization and uh, distributor company called Bridgepoint Technologies. And then probably lastly, I guess Dan Foster. He's a CRO of a technology and telecom master agency called Talaris. Yeah, they're all three incredibly bright, forward-thinking people and thought leaders in their own rights for sure. Awesome. So we'll definitely try to get them on board for podcasts. Fantastic. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. So Doug, what's the best way for someone to reach out to you after this recording? I'm sure some of our listeners would have a certain queries or would like to connect with you to know more regarding the topic that you spoke about. So what's the best way for them to get connected? Sure. I think the easiest low-hanging fruit would probably be LinkedIn. So it's just, you know, linkedin.com slash IN slash Doug Starzak. So D-O-U-G-S-T-A-R-Z-A-K. You know, or if you really want to get a hold of me at, at Zoom, then you can get a hold of me at doug.starzak at zoom.us. Awesome. So, Doug, thank you for being on our show. And I really enjoyed having you on the podcast series today. Like, really appreciate you spending your time with us. Oh, likewise, I appreciate the opportunity to come and speak. And I hope that provided some value for everybody, you know, as, as I've gotten a lot of value out of the other podcasts. So, again, I'm humbled and thankful that you guys brought me on today. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.